Welcome to the 42nd Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, which Quinton has just told me feels like taking off in a plane. It's a plane bound for board games. Well, there was a lot of oh, checks what? and balances, right? Because we were like, are you ready? And you were like, clear. And then I was like, Matt, are you ready? And he and was, was like, like, I'm still playing Clash uh, Royale on my phone. Yeah, let oh me check God. the switch under the plastic thing that you have to switch. Yep, that's okay. We're clear. Let's go. But it's my it's my first time flying to board game land for this wonderful holiday. I've brought with me Quinton Smith and Matthew Lees. Maybe they'll explain what can happen in this Shut Up and Sit Down podcast board gaming holiday land. Well, I can't explain anything. You've checked me into the hold. Paul, it's so cold in here. <laughs> He's freezing to death. Um, yeah, well, uh, we're going to be making all kinds of stops on this on this flight, Paul. If we look out of our... <laughs> it's going to take us ages together. It really is. Um, there's no way to uh, sort of keep up this theme while talking through everything there we've is, got in the podcast. There is, there is okay, I insist. well, basically we're going to be along the way we can look forward to seeing out of the window um a murder mystery a murder mystery dinner party game which you played um yeah. i'm going to talk about the new days of wonder game quadropolis a city building game that looks absolutely beautiful matt's been uh, living in a fairy tale i'm trying to don't know what that was paul's been playing <laughs> pandemic contagion um we are yes. all gonna play live on the podcast again it's coming out on kickstarter soon called dear leader Political, sort of a political comedy. So get your improv hats on. We're going to be dipping our hands into the mailbag. We're going to be talking about our folk game of the month. And then, God, a lot of stuff we're going to be doing. Um, Back in podcast number, let me open the tab because I'm professional. Oh, I've no, I've ruined it. Back in pod, back in a podcast thirty two, maybe. Um, uh-huh. I talk. We did a spoiler chat about Pandemic Legacy. Me and Jeff Canato, who's a very busy man, so won't be able to join me for the second half. Um, talked about the first six months of Pandemic Legacy. Um, the three of us have now finished Pandemic Legacy. We're going to be talking about the last six months. Do not worry about getting that game spoiled. It's going to be at the very end of the podcast, so you can switch off and mix nothing if you haven't played Pandemic Legacy yet or you care about spoilers. Um, and it will be very, very well signposted. So don't worry about stumbling into it by accident. Um, yes. But yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun talking about that. I think we all have stories. Yeah. Um, but first, uh, we can look forward to saving the world from diseases later. Paul has been saving dinner parties from boredom. Take it away, so Paul. So here's, here's the thing. Um... Some people may know exactly what this is. Some people may have no idea. The first time I encountered a murder mystery dinner party game, I, I didn't know what it was. This was a few. The first one I played was a few years ago, and I was uh, at university with some friends who were all actors, so they were very excited about playing characters in this game. What happens is you get characters given to you. Um, and each character has a background written on like a, a tiny booklet or a few bits of paper. And usually you're solving some kind of crime, which is usually a murder in a Cluedo sort of way. It's not like One someone of, got a parking ticket. It's like, or it's, or, you know, someone has had some trouble, um, with, uh, someone using their credit card to buy a uh, FIFA, um, no, sort of DLC no, it's, online. it's Quentin. It's much worse than that. Okay. It's like somebody is dead. Jesus Christ. And, uh, and the first time I tried this years ago, it's like, okay, you've got a character, you get a background given to you like on paper. Uh, and it was a bit rubbish the first time I did it because there wasn't a huge amount in there and you were very encouraged to improvise things and make things up. So and, my entire knowledge of murder mystery games comes from the episode of The American Office um, where they play a murder mystery game to like take their mind off the fact that they all might be fired or something like that. Um, and that makes it seem like every character um, 
was given a uh, is given kind of one clue of the mystery. So it's only through talking to all the different people at the dinner party you can um, and like people dropping their clue into conversation that you can solve it. Yes. That was that was very much what happened this time around. Previously around, you're given stuff about your background, and then we had sort of a, a like a narrative DVD that revealed new <laughs> things at certain times. So you had to put that oh on. Oh my god, that sounds and like the worst thing in the world. No, it sounds if it's it like was, corny. It's, you're trying to have a dinner party. Everyone stop talking. We got to watch the DVD. Wow. Yeah, it, it was a bit like that. Whereas this time. What we had was each of us had a our own private slips and our host, who was not playing, uh, when he thought it was dramatically appropriate, which is, I think, a good way of doing it, said, you know, like, OK, you can all turn to the next page. And that would reveal a new bit of information uh, about what has happened, which might be a clue that one of us notices or a new bit of information that one of us finds out about. Wait, so do you character. all have every character has their own booklet? Yes. Oh, cool. Um, and it gives you much firmer direction and it gives a little bit of narrative behind what happens. And um, as you go through, you, you find that other players suddenly start throwing things at you and saying, well, you know, you had a good reason to kill this person because of this thing that happened a while back. And you look at your book and your book knows that this is coming because there's a, probably a prompt somewhere in the other person's book. And so you're like, well, you know, in character, your response is, uh, I didn't do it because of this or I refute your allegation because of this. But all of this is happening publicly. So everybody hears it and everybody can make up their own mind about you know, how genuine they think you are. And one of these people's books actually says, well, you really are the killer and this is what <laughs> happened. This is why you did it. And I won't does spoil... This, does it say that right at the start or at the end? Oh, no, at the start it okay. does. Like the, the killer knows who they are and they are, they're oh, encouraged fun. to lie and deflect. Yeah. Uh, but what we also had was we had, there was like a twist or two in there where things... It's not just a case of like one person has killed the person for a reason. It's actually a bit more bit more complex than that in a way that's entirely believable and you know that that really worked quite well and it worked quite well with uh with a host who was shepherding things at an appropriate pace what was the setting of the one you played paul uh it was kind of uh, a modern day era thing involving basically wealthy business people uh wealthy business people who a world we could never imagine we decided in character that the reason that just nobody just immediately calls the police because there's a dead body <laughs> is we are all so important that we argue for about two hours about who might have did it and why rather than go, shit, there's a body, let's call an ambulance because we might be able to save them. <laughs> no, we just, you know dig into our personal histories and our pasts and how much money we all have <laughs> and who might have got the most money from killing someone else. It's uh, funny with the... Thematically, it works. I never thought about these games where, like, you're all given a bit of information, you'll have to share it before, but it basically has a lot in common with two rooms and a boom, except it's yeah. two rooms and a slowly, yeah. you know, decreasing in temperature corpse. Especially with the kind of, like, um, if you do have a game which is based more on mingling, I, th- uh, I think a friend of mine said he did something like this, and it was kind of almost like you got some information that you were only allowed to share with one character. Oh, that's fun. And I then think. that can kind of like disseminate through the party like a weird germ. Yeah. So I think it's like, this, yeah, there's some weird connections and stuff that could kind of gradually in- encourage you to go around to other people. You know what? This reminds me of um, uh, something we were talking about recently where uh, some corners of the internet didn't react beautifully to uh, the Nitwit review that I did recently. 
Where, oh, yes. Uh, Nitwit, uh, it's a lovely, beautiful um, game. If people search for Nitwit on Shut Up and Sit Down, that's one word. Well, no, it's two words. Um, but that's a game where you kind of place a lot of Venn diagrams with string on the table, and then there's a any sort of word in this string circle has to be sticky, and anything in this has to be evil. And then if there's a token in it, then you, everyone has to come up with a word that's sticky and evil. But the players can't come up with the same word. If you do, both your answers are invalid. Um but our commenters reacted really well to that, saying, oh, this looks like really fun, and everyone can come up with really funny answers, because you don't need to do one word. You can have, like, something that's sticky and evil could be, like, you know, uh, my dad's hairpiece or whatever. You know, like, it it, it can... Oh. So, um, <laughs> uh, but some corners of the internet um, that I saw uh, when I was looking at reactions were like, this game looks awful because, you know, it's... I've seen people play it and not have fun with it, or, like, um, I can't see where the fun is, and the fun is just, like being silly with your friends. Yeah. And I think that Shut Up and Sit Down as a site is like a lot more like gentle on games like this murder mystery thing where it's like, well, no, intrinsically there's nothing that good. But as soon as you put it in the hands of like people you love or people who are funny or people who are fun, it can be amazing. Mm. There's nothing revolutionary about the game that we played, but it worked in that it gave us characters, it gave us things to do, it gave us nice prompts that were like kick off, kickoffs or sort of a you know a push away from the dock to get the ship going and you have a group of people who know each other and who are happy to play a character and play around a bit and it it, it works i mean you you could try and find a way to break it or make holes in it but to be honest i mean if i sit down and i'm playing dungeons and dragons um there's ways to find exploits around the rules and try and break things but that's not what anybody sat at that table is going to do and that's what i thought actually about nitwit is yeah there might be certain ways to where the game may not be as enjoyable but i think there's there's going to be certain kinds of people who are never going to want to play it and the the people who do want to play it and whose kind of game it is are really going to get something special out of it because of the framework that it gives them you can I mean, arguably, with with so many games where the rules don't cover every single thing that happens, there's going to always be ways for you to step over the line and ruin something. Yeah, I do remember um, uh, getting... I mean, this isn't much fun to talk about, but, like, you know, after I did my Problem Players video, the, the basic message, the secret twist in my dealing with Problem Players video is, like, these are people who are just trying to have fun, same as you. So, you know, like, just try and relax and not stress about it. Um, yes. Uh, but, you know, I, that has resulted in me getting a couple of emails from people being like, you know, this person in my group really is a problem. And I think uh, not all people are as lucky as us as just having people who are great. And some people do try and break games. That's what they enjoy. And, you know, I I mean, I'm a mercenary boss that I would just say, like, don't play games with them. But maybe it's not as easy as that. Uh, that's, gen- that's genuinely my response as well. It's not even a case of like being like, oh, it's a bad person or play them. It's like if the kind of games you enjoy playing, um, the the people you play with try to react to the game in a way that just just is, um, you know, confrontational with yours. Like almost like mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to respect the game systems and they're trying to break them. And yeah. then yeah, you just can't. It's just it's just it's just op- that kind of opposition. You you're not going to be able to enjoy yourself. It's like with anything. It's like. <laughs> If you go and somebody's like, oh, well, I'm going to try and make a sculpture. And someone else is like, well, I'm going to close all the curtains and turn this room into a dark room <laughs> so I can make photos. It's like, we're, you're both turn trying to be creative. Turn up the radiator so your clay sort of melts. Yeah, like you're both trying yeah. to be creative, but, you, you, you know, you're both looking for different things and you're actually to the detriment of each other's enjoyment. It's sometimes funny you have that to just tap out. Some of the best and worst times we've had at conventions, like sometimes I'll sit down to play some goofy game I've just bought with people. This happened at the UK Game Expo last year. And um, I remember being sat down with someone who was just so like terminally boring 
boring. Like, I mean, he was just so <laughs> not into that game for anything other than numbers and winning. And he mm-hmm. didn't say anything, didn't laugh. Like, you know, this isn't me being a jerk. Like, he he didn't make... He, 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 he was... I mean, I always use the word mentat because it's a lot of fun to call people mentats. But, like, anyway. Um, but, similarly, we have had times at conventions where you sit down with people... I remember Matt and I played, like, the Warhammer Quest card game with a couple of people at Gen Con last year who had no idea who we were. You know, most people don't. But, like, they were so on the level of us. The four of us just sat down and were joking and just being twats and taking the game seriously. Do you remember those guys? Yeah. 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 It was, uh, and it was just like, we found each other. And that game was actually one of the yes. most exciting things we played at Gen Con because it's like, suddenly we had that instant connection and you remember why you do Shadowmaster down in the first place because board games can do that. And it was so cool. It's absolutely a risk worth taking if you go to a conference. Not all your games will be great, but some will be. And those will be incredible. Insta friends, it's like powder. You know, you add the powder and some games, and then it turns into a beautiful um, gravy friend. Yeah, and that's the thing wow. is, it's fun having this exciting thing that can just uh, break the ice. But at the same time, it sounds like this uh, this murder mystery thing. It sounds cool in the same way that I often why I like thematic games, like you know, and the fact that actually it's it's almost like you're playing with your friends. Rather <laughs> than you're playing as a way to like kind of get in the zone with people, you're playing with people you already know really well, and it's. Um, using a theme to explore your relationships with these people and explore your friendships and not necessarily even in a like a way anything more than abstract you know like we'll talk about it towards the end obviously but for, for yes. pandemic legacy it's like we all enjoyed the mechanics of the game but fundamentally the bit that were the most fun were the bits where we had to ask ourselves questions about what we were going to do next and and um Questions to do with plotting yeah. rather Questions than just through, yeah. the well, puzzle. Yeah, well, sometimes it's almost like the puzzle blends over. Like, yeah, exactly. When it became things like, well, you know, uh, are we going to go and look after London or whatever? Just because it's like, it, feel, it kind of feels like it's your city. Yes. Like, should we go here or not? And then it's like having those conversations and seeing how you all react to the stress and seeing how you crack under the pressure of it is a fun activity um, but a fun activity to do with people you already really know. And I'm not sure if you tried to sit down and do something like that with people you didn't. It could be... A little bit divisive. So, Paul... It could be... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, if people want to play a good murder mystery, do you remember, like, the the brand name of this one you played, or just the name? I don't remember anything about the name or the brand or the publisher, because I'm a bad person. Can you you fight because of a bad person? I am... No, I am a bad person. person. I I got so caught up in being a Texan oil millionaire... (laughs) Well, look, if you can find out for us, we'll be sure to put that in the podcast description. I can just imagine you as a textile oil millionaire now. That would be hilarious. <laughs> hold, on. In a hat that, hold on. Hold on now. In a hat that's like way too big for you. Yes, like, in a I, suit that's way too big for him, yeah. like rattling around in this. <laughs> I, I was actually, I was very restrained. Uh, some people were in a way that was excellent. Some people were less restrained with some of their character interpretations. <laughs> and it worked out very well because we had a good crowd of people who... Uh, uh, who who threw themselves into the experience, and that's that's the thing. I think actually you could do it with strangers, but you could, you would have to do it with strangers who were prepared to invest the same amount of sort of uh, time and energy in it. Yeah, it's tricky. For, you know, it was it was the right kind of circle of friends you who know, were into that sort of thing. People always say they one of the things they love to play at conventions is Twilight Imperium because it's so difficult to get to the table otherwise. Twilight Imperium being the big fantasy flight space opera which takes yes. like eight hours. And I always think that that could go so wrong because Twilight Imperium is a game where it's like, Matt, you're playing the robots who want to exterminate all life in the universe. Sure. Or, and I'm playing like the students, like the university species. Mm-hmm. And yes. if, if that doesn't immediately, la- like obviously there's an amount of, you want to win, but there's an amount of role playing that the yeah. game wants you to do because there's so much flavor there. Like that game, you know, it, what's the point of, if you flip over your player sheet in Twilight Imperium, there's like 750 words of backstory about your race. <laughs> 
And like, so imagine just playing to a period at a convention where like one person takes the game seriously while everyone else role plays or seven people take the game seriously and one person is like, bloop, bloop, I'm a, you know, insect. <laughs> It's. I, I can imagine that going so frustrating, especially yes. if, it's, if you've been looking forward to this game all year. Anyway, anyway, um, we'll get the murder mystery uh, name of that thing that Paul can't remember. Put down. it in the description. On the, I, I, will, on the website. I will fish it out. I just want to quickly ask, have, have either of you done anything like that then? I've never killed anybody. Before? I've never killed anybody, Paul. Paul, stop asking of questions. Course. Paul, listen. I'm sorry. You don't want to be asking these questions. No, I've never played a murder mystery thing. Don't you, don't you I remember my parents having a murder mystery uh, night when I was very young. Oh, yeah? Because I just remember, like, kind of being... I was very young, but I remember going downstairs and sit, sitting on the bottom of the stairs and listening. That's was, basically the same thing, isn't it? It was just like, what are they doing? They're all dressed up weirdly and they're doing something. They're having fun. I don't know if it was a good one, though. <laughs> I don't know if it was a good one or not, you know. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the 80s, so they were pretty bad back then. Everything was bad. I have not done anything like this, but I would love to. Oh, very well. <laughs> I said that in a slightly saucy way. I would love to. Do you want to talk about a game called Quadropolis? Quadropolis. Surely, surely that means four cities. Uh, it can do. It's up to a four-player game. Uh, mostly it involves four sides of like a square, like a grid. Um, Quadropolis, which I've played and I'm going to talk about, and it's good, but I have just been trying to come up with a F the polis like Yeah, and I was thinking joke. that as well, but I couldn't. Um, <sighs> Quad Blimey, F the Police, eh? straight from the city builder game genre. Uh, so, Quadrupolis is a game where um, it's from Days of Wonder, and you open the box, and it has the most beautiful inlay ever. Loads of tiles representing parks and offices and factories and docks and homes. And it's incredibly simple. The entire game is that you get a grid that's placed in between all the players, and then each player gets a grid in front of them that's their city. And. Uh, you lay out the tiles randomly. There are like five rounds. And then in each round, you've got like X number of factories and parks and stuff. And so on Matt's turn, Matt takes like a house because he wants a house. Um, and all the different things you build score differently. So like docks score in a, if you put them all in a line. Houses score if you stack them up vertically. Parks score if they're next to houses. Factories score if they're next to docks. Offices need to be in a district. And then you you get the idea? Vaguely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure, whatever. Point is, different things score in different ways. So you're trying to build in certain patterns, right? Mm-hmm. So um, let's say on Matt's turn, he takes a house. He picks up the house from the central shop on offer, but then he ha- he places a big, black, beautiful plastic meeple called the Urbanist on the space on the grid where he took his tile. And that means on that grid of shops, when it, the next turn, when it passes clockwise to me, I can't buy any tiles on the same row or column as the Urbanist. Um, and then the other slight difficulty in Quadropolis is that there are architect tiles that you use to actually claim stuff from the shop, right? Um, which is like, let's say I pick the number two architect um, and I place it in the shop um, in a way that doesn't interfere with the urbanist. And then that means that because I placed the number two architect, bear with me, guys, listen to this. We yep, count yep. two off the edge of the shop. So we go one, two tiles in, and I pick up that tile because I used the number two architect. Mm-hmm. But then I can only place it in any of the spaces on my board that are number two. So it has to be the second story of something or in the second district or the second mm. block in any of the districts. So all of this is just basically sort of very gentle tying your hands behind your back to make it so that your city is never built in quite the way you want it to. And so it's just a game of like um, going, oh, I just need to build an office. No, I can't b- buy an office. Oh, I'll just yeah. place a port. No, my port can't go there. And then the game asks you, well, now we've um, 
uh, sort of, excuse my French, sort of like pissed on your plans a little bit. What are you going to do now? Yeah. And then you start building in an incorrect way. And then the the final, uh, the fifth round of the game is basically everyone trying to finish their multipliers and like place that fifth office or... Do the best they can. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. the final cute thing about it, and this is the main thing about Quadropolis that I want to tell you guys about, is that... Um, it comes with tiny little trans translucent blue uh, meeples, right? Um, so if you buy a uh, an apartment um, or a port, it's going to come with a few little meeples. And then the meeples you use, tiny little blue plastic toys, you have to place in buildings around your uh, city to actually activate them. So you get this, and this is so awesome, in a game that's otherwise quite mathsy, you get like essentially playing with action figures that like a dock shows up and then what's on the dock? Ooh, it's two little men and then you have to place those two little <laughs> men on your board and then you can always just reshuffle them because it's only ever symbolic like to make sure that you have enough people for all your building. So it's like, oh, this man's going to go to the shop and then this man's going <laughs> to go to the factory. And I swear to God, I used to play with Mighty Max as a kid, which were these action figures which were exactly the same scale. Yeah. They're like little five millimeter scale things, exactly the same size as Quadropolis. And I tell you what, I find myself like telling little stories with these little blue men that live in my town. You know, they walk around, they change places. If I've got men who are unemployed, they're negative points, but they'll like hang out together behind the factory, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it does stuff <laughs> to my imagination which is absolutely insane that's um, fun it's cute um and so yeah the other balance of the game is also in addition to building your city ensuring you have enough energy uh sort of cylinders and little people um you want to have exactly enough for your whole city not too many because then they count as pollution and unemployed mm. um but not too few because then you just can't even score the stuff you wanted so yeah super nice neat little puzzle i've played it twice now and i still can't i'm gonna review it it's good it's good. But, well, no, it's so good. what's holding you back? I mean, that sounds kind of like an interesting challenge in improvising and dealing with people trying to mess your wonderful urban plans up. It's good. And it's so simple and so neat and it's so quick. And, you know, I think the only thing holding you back from really just leaping on a review is suburbia. Um, yeah. which is just an absolutely phenomenal hex-based um, city-building game, which has a lot more colour and flavour than Quadropolis, because Quadropolis, for all its beautiful toys, is still like you've got a port and a factory and a house, you know, and then a shop. Like, big whoop. Um, whereas Suburbia is obviously like you've got a school next to a, you know, a, a radiation dump and then, like, a, a stationary shop. Like, you're just building the worst suburbs, and they are really, really funny. Um, it's uh, just... I'm gonna review it, and it's there are gonna be people who buy this other than Suburbia, but it's Suburbia is the reason I can't get truly excited about it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, playing with Little Blue Men, it's uh, it's really really nice. It's fun. Uh, something now, a simple a simple idea like that of being like you know you could just have it being you, you do you, that with so many other ways. You could have a chart like um, move this disc up the chart, like yeah. for every person who arrives, and then move it down. Exactly. But no, they give you little miniatures instead who live in your town, yeah. and it's huge. I mean, that's really interesting <laughs> to me because it's like you'd obviously would just go, well, yeah, there's no point having all these little men. You just have a, like a, a meter that shows yeah. your population. But to actually have that, especially especially specifically because it is for people and not for like power cells. Or you whatever, do have it like, for power yeah. cells as well. You have exactly the same system for power cells, but it's just like it's just stuff to fill. Oh, sure, yeah, but it's just an interesting thing to like, kind of almost bear in mind for like 
from a design perspective of being like whenever you can have people in your game like making them if there's a way you can actually make them little people that live somewhere yeah it's like it just taps into human brains so much Days of Wonder are really good for that I remember I did an interview with them on Kotaku ages ago and um, they talked about how they did one of their earlier games was called Mystery of the Abbey and um, uh, it and uh, it comes like at the end of each round all the monks have to go back for like some kind of mass I forget how it works but it's a good game but it mass comes with clock. a tiny bell like a bell that is just a few centimetres oh, tall and ring, ring it. and like it's just a tchotchke that like you know cost them whatever like five cents extra a game but it's all anyone ever talks about with that game and it's so good like they're, they're, they are the best publisher for just including bullshit with a game that is it looks correct and feels correct and is dumb as hell and great cool cool uh so uh matt you very kindly gave me my opening i'm gonna open yeah. the door what's in the door it's matt he's been playing fairy tale hello let's close <laughs> the door again game doesn't look very good it's all right i mean um <laughs> It's kind of got a fun idea to it. And what's interesting about Fairy Tale is it's not as complicated as it sounds when you're reading the manual. Effectively, the way it works is it's kind of a drafting game whereby you each get given five cards. You look at those five cards, you take one, and then you pass the cards around to the next player. And then you, they, everyone passes the cards around and you choose another one. And you keep doing that until you've got five cards. Right. right? Sure. And then everyone has their hand of five cards. But of those five cards, you will then only play three of them. Okay. Those so it cards, gives you the opportunity to uh, hate draft, as in take other people's cards. Exactly. And, yes. and without and you have a penalty idea, to yourself. what they might do. Exactly. Um, so you've got that element of it. But then uh, you will each play uh, one at a time. Everyone plays down a card face down. And then once they're all on the table, everybody flips them over. And then things happen. And basically, the way it works is that you do that for the first round and you end up with three cards flipped over in front of you. Then you keep going and you keep going until effectively everybody on the table has 12 cards in front of them. What are you What are you sort of doing? What are you building? Well, it's basically kind of fantasy fair stuff, obviously mm-hmm. fairy tale. Um, and you're building a combination of stuff like sometimes buildings, sometimes troops. But effectively, it's a points game. You just want to have the most points. Okay. The but the clever thing... Well, the system that it basically works around is the fact that these cards, um, there aren't actually that many cards in the deck. Like, So actually, the first few times you play, you're like, oh, okay, like this does that, this does that. But then you realise there aren't actually that many things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start to get a feel for it. So it's, like, a, it's a game where you sort of really learn the deck? Yes, and- I think so. In terms of, like, because even... Um, I'll get back to that a second. Basically, the way it works is that let's just say you you put down your third card and it's a card that's worth this many points, but it has this thing and it's a bit confusing. It says flip or unflip. Uh, and sometimes basically one of the few actions that happens is it will say this card's worth this many points, but when you play it, you have to unflip um, like uh, a black card or like unflip, unflip a yellow card or flip a red card. Deflip. Deflip, precisely. It's like unflip. <laughs> Wait, hang on, hang on. It would be flip, right? No, because, because flip... No, but that's the word you'd use because there's no such thing as unflip. No, I know. If you flip, it's the same as a flip. But I see what it means. It but, means take a card that's face down and turn it face up. Yes, um, because there's also <laughs> flip. And if it, was just, okay. if it was just flip, then it wouldn't work because you'd be like, you, it would give you too much choice. Whereas specifically what it means is... With unflip, it's like take a card that's already face down and flip it over so it's face up. However, often what it'll say is it'll say, play this card, it's worth like this many points, but you now have to flip a green card. And then it'll be like one of your cards in front of you will be green. There's four suits. It's green, reds, yellows, Which blacks. are like uh, undead. Yeah, they've all got elves. themes. I mean, like the theme like is not like 
great enough for I mean, me to, to I'm like, the guy who, about, who you know? enjoyed the theme in Arboretum and imagined myself no, no. from Maple Tree. No, but I enjoyed the theme in Arboretum <laughs> as well. Oh, okay. So it's, it, it really yeah. doesn't work here, huh? It's just like, it's one of these things where it's a little bit too trad fantasy fair, uh, you know, kind of like pretty elves and... And the, the cards appearing and disappearing and doesn't pretty feel demonic like it women much. and it's just like, it's just kind of like, yeah, you know, like... Okay. It's all right. I should uh, just quickly chime in here that I got Matt to play this because it was part of my exploration into Zedman's um, deluxe card games line. Mm. So uh, I just I've been probing all those games because Arboretum and Archaeology and uh, some other stuff I forget. Uh, Laws of Scotland, like loads. Of, there's so much good stuff in there that I was like, "Hey, Matt, Matt, check this one out." It's kind of interesting, and the thing is, basically, the way it pans out is you end up like at first you've just got a few cards down, but by the end you keep putting more cards down, and it becomes this weird kind of strategy game of trying to basically trying to get the things you want face up, face up at the end. Okay, and so it has odd things like a lot of the high scoring points, like cards like the buildings, like that's oh, worth six points, but it'll be a red card worth six points, and it will say flip one red card. Which means if you put that down and you don't have any other red cards, you immediately flip it. Ah. And then it means it's not worth any points. Okay. And then it means you then having to try and find another card that will let you flip reds <laughs> so you can get that back. Okay. And then you also have the fact that um, cards combo. So it will be like, oh, this card is worth three points, but then this other card is worth like... Like, however many of those cards you've got. A point for every green card. Yeah. No, or for every, like, dwarf. So, be like, if you've got one of these and you've got four dwarves, it's worth, like, each dwarf is worth, like, eight. I would have loads of dwarves. Yeah, no, you try to. You've got to aspire to these things, you know? <laughs> um, but it's kind of fun that it tells you in the corner, like, how many of them there are. So, actually, it's quite good in terms of, like, um, the combos. It's um, It tells you how many of, like, these cards there are. So, you can, like, actually get an idea of the probabilities of how many, how likely you are to draw more of them. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, it'll tell you if something affects something else or have a thing at the bottom saying this card is friends with this card. So, it isn't just a case of, like... <laughs> it says friends. Yeah, it has, like, a little hand thing saying friends. And it basically means that it's, like, okay, well, you know... That this interacts with this card. Okay. Some of them are like really kind of big strategies. Like they'll be like, this card's worth nine points, but only if you get this other card. Mm-hmm. Like, and have them both up. Flipped, yeah. But then the, the interesting thing is the fact that, yeah, you have your cards that say like you've got to flip a yellow, but then you have some cards that say everybody flips a green. Mm. And so you have to be like, you know, you'll play that being like, I'm going to mess up that player and mess up that player. So it's funny with the kind of nature of being flipping and on and off and activating and deactivating cards when I was reading I thought oh man this is going to be really complicated but actually it's such a quick game that um, that you're kind of done with it really quite fast and okay. it doesn't get too complicated it kind of you, you roll in with a strategy and I've only played it two players we were playing it on train and it was quite fun that it was just like very pure blocking almost like uh-huh. you literally just like you get first look at your five cards, but then you pass them over, and then from that point onwards, you always kind of know what the other person's got. Card games are a peculiar genre where, like, they change so much whether you're playing with two or three. Like, with two players, they're some of the most knives-out games in the world. Yeah. But with three, it suddenly becomes, like, very light. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's it was kind of... It interested me in that I started to also see that the suits were kind of different in the fact that, like, the, the black cards, for example, there was nothing that really flipped them. They always remained face up, mm. um, which made them kind of unique. Like the evil ones? Yeah, the evil ones, like, were kind of always face up as far as I could tell. But it meant there was a character that could hunt the evil ones, but it meant if somebody else flipped over an evil one at the same time as you flipped that, then you would just steal it, like, almost. <laughs> okay. Well, you just kill it. you take it off the table completely. It wouldn't... Or no, sorry, that's not true. It would just flip and not do anything, which is just bad for them. So there's stuff going on. Also, I love the fact that one of the cards is just called the Egg of Chaos. <laughs> oh, nice. You could have led with that. I man. know. I just save it. Egg of Chaos is just a wonderful, um, like, 
it's kind of it's a card that effectively asks, acts as being lots of cards. Okay. And it's like this is the egg of chaos. It the is egg of chaos is friends with everyone. Yeah, so you've got the egg of chaos, and that's kind of fun. It's it seems fine. It's one of the things I like to prod more. I like to prod with more players because um it is one of those funny things of, of having this kind of card game that involves planning of you of you just constantly drafting the cards in the hope of having a strategy. And sometimes that strategy is just like, I'm going to get loads of dwarves. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you'll be like, that well, would be my strategy. you'll begrudgingly be like, well, I'll flip that, but I'm going to aim to try and flip it back again. Mm-hmm. And um... So, is it good that you've I, yeah, had you a know, choke over there? I don't know. I, when I first looked at it, I thought it's, this is uh, it looked like a bit too complicated. I was a bit worried about starting it up because the guy's playing with, he's not a massive gamer. But uh, yeah, we enjoyed it. Plucking around, it seemed quite fun. It it's sounds like... You enjoyed it, but wouldn't buy it. You enjoyed it, but wouldn't play it again. I, I need to play it some more. It's interesting. It's not as... Um, I, I kind of looked at it and thought it was going to be quite quite bad. So the reason I cast it onto your review pile is that there's that variant at the back by Richard Garfield, like one of the our two favourite designers in the entire the team world. team variant, I think. Oh, okay, I think yeah. it's a variant on a team variant. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he, but he, I just knew he had some involvement because it's originally like a Japanese design. And then yes. he... Uh, so anything that's like a game that's good enough to come over from Japan, and then also Richard Garfield's involved in tweaking it. It's like, there's got to be something here. I mean, for now, I'd say, like, I wouldn't I wouldn't do anything. Like, we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll revisit this <laughs> briefly in another podcast. But it was interesting. You're going to keep I, sitting on the egg of chaos. Yeah, sitting away till it hatches. Just don't, don't do anything rash. I think I'd like to play, um, play a little bit more of it with some more people. Uh, we might... As three, we're going to see each other next month or so. Maybe oh, yeah, that could be cool. Go. Yes. Because um, it's quite light. It's quite simple. Uh, I want to see kind of uh, how robust it feels when you when you start giving it a bit of a run for its money with more people. Nice. Uh, I, I am curious about things like that. I see so many, uh, basically, card games that are some sort of set collection and or drafting, a bit like this, like get a certain number of these, get a combination of these with, you know, a bunch of different themes. But I just... I feel there's a lot of stuff like that out there and not that much of it is actually that compelling. Well, this site was very... You, Paul, you and I were very cold on last year's um, Drafting Smash Hit, which was um, Seven Wonders Duel, the two-player drafting game um, that reinterpreted Seven Wonders. And it's like... It was fine. I just it was quite good. I can't it was okay. It. Yeah, I played it a few times and it's just like... Mm. Um, but Paul! Uh-oh. There's a disease and it's you. You've been playing <laughs> Pandemic Contagion... But also, really, we're going to need to quarantine you in Canada for just another few years. So here's the thing. You're talking about a little bell in a game that was a wonderful little addition. Yeah. I, when I opened the box for Pandemic Contagion, uh, I was extremely happy to discover that it has Petri dishes in. Mm-hmm. One of it the has, um, one of the pandemic expansions has that. That's Petri dishes for the disease cubes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought, what a... Because, you know, from a game's point of view, it is a very cheap, fundamental, simple thing to make. But I thought, what a wonderfully flavor-appropriate, simple, uh, effective in-character kind of accessory to have, rather than just give someone a a bit of card to put their disease cubes on. You get a real Petri dish with a lid. Um, and you have a set, everybody has a player board and you slip it into a section of your player board and it sits there and it holds your disease cubes. And then you actually kind of don't think about it ever again, which is a shame because it made me initially really excited about a game that is also a card game. Yeah. So this is mostly um, a, a sort of just, it's not actually really anything to do with pandemic aside from the fact that no. you play, is it designed by Matt Leacock? 
Uh, no, I don't believe it is. I don't okay. think I saw his name anywhere in the credits or the designers or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this is, this two- is also not to be confused with Pandemic the Dice Game, which is called something else. Yeah, is that Pandemic the Cure? Or am yes. I just... Well yes. done, everybody. really gone to town on... Uh, yeah. Well, they're doing Pandemic Cthulhu. Uh, that's coming out this Pandemic year. Pandemic Iberia. Pandemic Iberia, the limited print run. It's as if... Zed Man has been bought by a publisher who knows how to make money. Um, crazy. But hey, they gave us Pandemic Legacy, which is now, in our consideration, the best board game ever made. So let's keep... I mean, let's not stop them, right? Like, no, sure. Well, they're, they're throwing it all out there, I think, and seeing what sticks. And Does Pandemic Contagion, Contagion stick? I don't think it quite does. What you've got, you've got this two to four player game, which is really quick. You have... Um, a deck of event cards, which is sort of the, the game's referee, and then every turn certain things happen, so you know exactly how long the game is going to be. All of you play the disease. You're all diseases, and you spend your time infecting cities, which basically means you take your cubes and you put them on cities. But you also have your own player board where you can mutate your disease, which allows you to do things like uh, draw more cards or be a more effective disease or um, be more resilient to uh, attempts to destroy or damage you because certain events, when you go through this event deck, things come up and the World Health Organization finds some way to immunize people or slow down you know, your progress. So you want to uh, spend some of your time, invest your time, invest your cubes in making people sick in different cities because you get points for that and you get points for uh, basically wiping a city out or contributing to wiping it out. Uh, but you also want to invest time in just making all your numbers higher on your player board because that makes you better at everything. So it's classic choice of, do I do a thing now and get some points or do I invest in becoming better at getting points later? Uh, and it's nice how quick it is. It's nice uh, how easy it is to teach people. Um, I mean, and yeah, it's I, it's kind of, it, it's going to have a tough time against Pandemic, isn't it? Just because Pandemic it's, is it's similarly got, quick oh. and easy to teach people. I mean, uh, I think I I would immediately probably rather play co-op pandemic or play to be invested in a pandemic legacy campaign. I I quite liked it because it was quick and it gave me quick, simple but uh, straightforward, important decisions to think about. Like it was, I was kind of surprised how quick it was, and you have all these tracks that you can run up uh you know you could try and be a really effective disease that draws lots of bonus cards but you don't actually have time enough to become really good at lots of things so it's very important what you choose to do and i liked that focus and i mean i felt positive about it i enjoyed playing it but i don't know if it just measures up to the the best of pandemic or the best of other quick card games i mean i'm still thinking all the time about uh Love Letter and how that's just such a good quick card game. Yeah, or Lost Legacy, and, right? The pseudo sequel that's similar but then has mix and match cards. Or coup, that you can, you know. Yeah, or 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 coup. And the thing is, with particularly with some of my friends here, coup gets broken out quite often because it's just we've got twenty minutes. Let's play something. Let's break out coup. Let's see how good we are at lying this evening. Well, there's that. We've never looked at it, right? But there's that. What is it? Coup, the, the big box coup that costs a million dollars and has like all the different roles, the new coup edition. Oh, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on to something that might be great, but certainly should create a discussion that we're going to play live. Um, 
So, Dear Leader is a game by Tim Hutchins, which is going to be appearing on Kickstarter later this year. And it is a political improv sort of uh, stupid uh, ad-lib game. Um, which I know a lot of our audience aren't necessarily into, but hey, we can play it for them. Um, so this is a game that is entirely um, about uh, one of us will be Kim Jong-un. Who feels like being Kim Jong-un? Uh, I do most days. Okay. I knew it. I knew it would be you. It's just a running joker, really, isn't it? Um, we just slash... recorded an episode of Dark Souls where you talked about being a dictator. Yeah, it's always on my mind. I've been playing a video game that's turned me into a dictator and this left me feeling very conflicted. So uh, here's how this works. The mm. print and play uh, is going to... Um, uh, yeah, well, I'll, walk, I'll walk you guys through it. So basically, me and Paul are your policy advisors, um, Mr. Hello. Um, obviously, you are, you're great and amazing. Um, but we're going to draw a card from the... the of abstracted PDF that uh-huh. I've got, which is a problem. And um, me and Paul have to take turns being the policy advisors to uh, provide you with a policy. Um, you're going to listen to the two of us, and then you're going to um, suggest your own policy. Mm-hmm. Paul and I must clap. Um, and that is, that is, <laughs> honestly, this is the single rule that really brought this game to my attention. <laughs> whoever is the policy lead, uh, whoever is Kim Jong-un, well, you suggest something. You suggest your theory, we all clap. But then, then you've got to insult me and Paul. And then, though, you have to pick which of the two of us provided the better theory in the end anyway. And then you give us the card, and then whoever gets the card becomes Kim Jong-un for the next round, right? Okay. So we're just going to play a quick round of it. Um, there is a twist on this game, which I'm going to get to um, after we've we've done this. Um, I won't tell you guys what it is now. Um, so are you, are you ready for your, uh, for your policy? I am. Okay. Um, uh, dear leader, your most glorious and disobedient son, Kim Jong-un... Na- na- Kim Jong-nam attempted to enter the nest of imperialist propaganda that is Tokyo Disneyland. We saved him from his decision before he became infected, but how should we help him see the error of his ways? Hmm. Uh, Glorious leader, I I have a suggestion. (laughs) Yes? The uh, imperialist figurehead and pig, Mickey Mouse, has ruled and provided evil propaganda for too long. I would like to suggest that we send a team of our strongest soldiers to assassinate Mickey Mouse. I've provided a a sort of simple readout here. We know that he lives in a large palace, a disgustingly opulent palace that is, of course, a pale shadow of the palace that we built for you last year. Um, But we could drop a helicopter on the top and the men would go in through this balcony here, which Mickey Mouse is often seen waving from. Yes. We've ascertained that his bedroom is probably connected to that balcony. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it would be, you know, just one in the back of the head. (laughs) Right. Just one. Just one. Paul. What do you suggest? Uh, Well, my uh, fine and esteemed and very honourable colleague's suggestion, I think, is uh, intelligent and uh, incisive. I have an alternative that I would like to propose, dear leader. Um, I think we can, in our own way, with our own uh, initiative and with our own superior style, one-up these imperialist dogs and create our own Disneyland, not based around the wicked and evil man that was Walt Disney, but based around you. And instead of Mickey Mouse and Tigger and that frozen thing, the only character that we need to have in the theme park is is people dressed as you, waving from balconies, imitating obviously the way that you wave at our own many long military parades. And do we need to have floats of cartoon characters of of grotesque and corrupt and and uh child damaging harming cartoon no we'll just instead parade our many nuclear 
missiles and anti-aircraft missiles and anti-ship missiles, even the ones that occasionally go off by accident, through the park. And it will be a celebration of us and our culture and you and uh, our great nation, dear leader. And everyone will be able to wave flags. And I've just probably invented a second capital city. But uh, it would be a great alternative holiday resort that the that many people could go to and enjoy and or work at and then return to uh, to their homes uh, feeling invigorated and inspired by our country and our nation and enough. our great work and your leadership. Yes, enough. enough. Yes, of course. Yes. No more. I believe our first course of action should be to begin production of a set number of films depicting this mouse as the traitorous scum that he is. Of course, that's brilliant, yes. We should have Mickey Mouse, Death to the West, and we will screen it across the nation. It's part of my birthday celebrations. Yes. Brilliant. Perfect. Yes. You clearly are. You clap like a buffoon, Quentin. And Paul. Hello. You're an idiot, an awful idiot of a man. But in this circumstance, I do agree that it may be wise to build a theme park with my image being the only attraction. I think maybe, yes, we will do that. (laughs) It's hard to to time the clapping correctly when there's two of us and we're in the wrong country. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I imagine with six people and good faster and fast. So there are, there are reasons why this game would be problematic, but the one thing that, uh, that is part of it as well is that you play this game for as while for a while, for as long as you like. And, um, uh, here's the thing though. It does come with some more educational facts about North Korea, um, that are on the that will be on the backs of the policy cards in the finished version um, mm-hmm. that kind of make this uh, pretty... Okay, so I'll just read a couple of them out because I had the designers send some to me. So between 150,000 and 200,000 North Koreans live in prison camps. Uh, less than 3% of North Korean roads are paved. Um, as many as 40% of North Korean prisoners die from malnutrition. Um, and that's just some, I mean, I don't want to take spoilers. I don't want to read out the rest, but like it, it's an interesting proposition to me because like, I mean, I, it's kind of making fun of the dim dictator, but then also reminding you that the people of North Korea have pretty horrible existence. I mean, right. It's like, it's trying to, it's ultimately sort of, it's, I guess, if I wanted to, you know, sort of uh, provide like a more flattering view of the game, it's um, it's really just trying to make fun of the insane dictator who's at the head of a, yeah. of a nation and causing like like because I think it, yeah, suffering. especially yes. it's, it has become a bit maybe easy to just see him as a meme, really, and it's yeah. like forgetting that actually it's like it's not a joke. <laughs> People whose lives are massively impacted by these policies and decisions on a daily basis. Yeah, so it's a weird one. Like, But at the same time, I can see how people playing it would just feel kind of like xenophobic and, and racist. Like, it's, uh, you know, whether the game is or not, I think it's kind of like um, an interesting one. Um, yeah, I, uh, I think I'm... It's not... I, I guess I'm just going to feel a lot more comfortable leaving people who are smarter politically than me to, like, unpick this. Um, I was going to say it's. It seems at least easy to distance yourself from whatever reality it could be inspired. I mean, I 
I'm immediately thinking of Stalin and people just clapping forever and ever after Stalin's speeches, but it's, it's almost cartoonish in a way that you could easily pretend, right, you know, this is a fictional country. The point is some kind of egomaniac who is terrible, you know, yeah. that, that cartoonish villain. Yeah, and topically, like, I would assume that each question on the card, like our Disneyland question, you know, if you flip that, that would have a fact sort of like pertaining to sort of like um, propaganda and sort of like holidays within North Korea, right? It wouldn't just be disassociated facts. So the stuff that you're specifically making fun of, then it's like, oh, the reality of it is actually closer to home than you might think. Hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, weird one. Um, it's an odd one. Uh, but yeah, people can look forward to it. I thought it would be interesting enough and, uh, you know, good, hilarious podcast fodder. Um, yeah, it's difficult, especially when you're you're trying to enact like somebody like King, Kim Jong Un. Basically, you are like kind of an idiot, really. Um, but also, like, it just it's sort of just so linchpinned on making these wild threats to the West that they really don't really have much capacity to. Yeah, so it's just it's all a bit sad, really. I mean, it's, and you and you remember that there are millions of people trying to live in that country while he spends all yeah. the money on mad shit. I mean, it go, is tremendously oh, sad God. and also fit for parody. And you know, maybe yeah. if a game can do both, that's okay. Yeah, but yeah. certainly, certainly an interesting idea, Tim Hutchins. Um, Indeed. Thanks. Ooh, put your hand in my mailbag. I am just reaching into the shut up and sit down mailbag. Ooh, it feels very warm in there uh today's uh, we have such a backlog of these so we'll try and get through them as fast as we can today's folk game comes from nathan remington oh this is not the folk us. game that's coming later paul that's probably why the, oh. the bag you are reaching into you that's why it felt so warm yeah, yeah. it's oh. all the folk in there put your put oh, your so arm into the, the other bag oh with nathan oh. remington's uh this message very well this this feels completely different this feels kind of clammy it feels mm. cold it's yeah. from Lachlan Albert that's a very good name Lachlan no, Albert no that's the folk no, game no, that's the folk Paul, game. Oh, the Paul. <laughs> Paul just all right just take take both of your arms out of both of the bags Quinns could you could you reach into the the, the mailbag here please? Paul this is the mailbag from Nathan Remington I think our heads are all still in North Korea it's it's like jet lag you know <laughs> what am I doing you're reading Nathan. Read the thing from Nathan Remington. It's fine. <clears throat> Imagine if we were on the BBC. Imagine if that was live radio. Oh man! Do you, Gold. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it doesn't help that you're just you're so sassy. You're so sassy. Mm. Hi, says Nathan Remington. Just wanted to point out something that I saw that was really interesting to me. A sponsored post by Fantasy Flight that was a commercial advertisement for Star Wars Rebellion. Like a 30-second video, panning over pieces with narration, etc. I thought this was notable because Shut Up and Sit Down has always taken the line that they want to live in a world where real board games are advertised on TV. Granted, I was targeted for this ad, and it was on social media, but it was an actual commercial, not just an Amazon link to a product. And social media is where I see most of my ads nowadays anyway, which is fair enough, he says. So, hmm. guys, we can pack this one up and go home. It's over. I don't, I don't remember ever saying I want to live in a, a world where. Oh, it was before. It was you before that. you showed up. Do you have I'm a problem not with that? Saying that. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, 
it's it's a complicated one. I think the fact he says like at the end, oh well, you know, it's on social media, which is where I see most of stuff anyway. It's like the world has changed. Like TV now, this idea yeah, of it has of broadcasting to everyone, and actually seeing an advert on social media now means nothing really because it is just laser targeted at you. And it's like it's you know, it's, it was probably had the production values of an actual commercial. But yeah, it will. It doesn't. That doesn't mean anything because uh, it, the internet is so laser targeted at us that um, it gives us a perception of reality which is not real. Okay, so this is going way so more down than I thought it would. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so the, here's where my head was at. When we started Shut Up and Sit Down, one of the things we said was like, you know, oh, people, everyone should be playing the resistance. The resistance should be advertised on TV. Mm-hmm. And then I put this email in because it's like, well, hey, at least we're getting there because we've got high-ish production value commercials about board games that are appearing in front of people. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, the guy probably already plays board games. Yep. Um, so I suppose this would be better if this stuff was being advertised to people who don't play games, but... I mean, it's tricky now because, you know, five, six years ago, the internet was in a different place and, and you could say nice, uh, warm things like, oh, I want to see a world where board games are advertised on TV, whereas now it's like, oh, I want to see a world in which the uh, demographics that are targeted by marketing initiatives on, <laughs> on social media are slightly wider. Um, and that's the thing. If you if you have people who just like, maybe just like sci-fi who just get... Matt, can you hand me the boring buzzer just I'm there. sorry. It's genuinely... <laughs> just, just, it's Let's move on to yeah. our folk game of the month. Yep. Folk game of the month. I have got my arms right inside the folk bag. It's definitely the right bag. Jekyll, the, bag the bags are very confusing. I know the bags. There's a lot of oh. bags in here. Yeah, well, maybe you should tidy up your half of the interdimensional bag slot. Uh, this is a very long message, so Matt is going to have to read fast and with not much interruption. Sure. Or I'm worried this will become boring. Sure. This is from Lachlan <laughs> Albert. Hi, lads. I'm from the incredibly warm city of Brisbane, Australia. I wanted to share two of the quick folk games my father taught my brother and sister and I when we were younger. <sighs> The first game I want to talk about is Money Heads. Now, I know you guys have papery money, but down here our money is a polymer. Imagine that the label of a bottle of Coke only thicker. The good thing about this money is it's hard to tear and doesn't get water damaged, because Australians classically are always surfing. But when it gets (laughs) wet, it does stick to things. Money Heads takes advantage of this adhesive property in a really unhygienic way. Each player grabs their wallet, pulls out the smallest denomination of note they have, licks one side, then slaps their forehead, slamming the licks of the note onto their head. There was a much shorter way to say that. This is the moment where Money Heads takes its name from, where everyone in attendance is certainly no longer a person, but some form of human currency hybrid. I like that, that phrase, that was good. Notes dangling over their eyes and obscuring their vision. The players then stare at each other, stare each other down as the money inevitably starts to detach itself and the last one with money still attached to their head wins. The best bit about Money Heads is the more you lick and the harder you slap, the longer the note will generally stick. <laughs> But there's always an element of unpredictability, so someone can smash themselves in the face only to lose to somebody who dabbed the money on their tongue and gingerly placed it on their head. The lack of self-preservation leads you to my personal favourite folk game, Spin Till You Can't Stand Up. (laughs) (laughs) If if there was ever a folk game name, it sums up what we do with this segment. I mean, it's like, I love the fact like almost money heads didn't need a paragraph to explain what it was uh, after the initial premise of you lick a note and then. (laughs) Uh, But Spin Till You Can't Stand Up. In this game, every player begins standing and after a countdown of 3-2-1, looks towards the sky and starts spinning on the spot. Nobody may stop spinning. (laughs) Once you can't continue to stand and fall on your backside, you're eliminated. This one is definitely worth playing outside as it can cause a lot of vomiting 
And I've personally broken a window with my face during one particular indoor session of spin till you can't stand up. Have a good one, says Lachlan. Oh, but thank you. Um, gosh. Australia. It does Australia. seem like... Just, maybe this is me just being actually explicitly racist, but I'm somehow, <laughs> I'm somehow like, not terribly surprised that spin till you can't stand up is... is is something that results in smashing windows in Australia. See, I wish I'd warmed up my Australian... Because if I try and do an Australian accent now to talk about spin so you can't stand up, it'll be awful. Yeah. But, like, if I'd warmed up, like, yeah. in the break while we were doing the jingle, I, just, I could have done a fabulous Australian accent. No, see, <laughs> I just think it's it's almost like it's an idea that you'd struggle to find the legs with in some countries. I'm not sure why. But in Australia, somehow, it's I don't perfect. know. I don't know why, but somehow I just go, yeah, I mean... I just yeah. I can imagine that like you you're, you're drunk obviously and you play spin until you can't stand up and then you know someone falls over and there's just a crack. No, what's funnier to me is not yeah. that, like if his head goes through the window. I think it's what just would have broken the window. Yeah, like he just there's a thud and a crack and you look over and there's like one sort of you know one of those threads running through the window which shows it's broken into two pieces. Yeah, like and then he pulls his face away like that is. I think it's something, <laughs> it's really funny it's to me. Something about like uh, some of the oh, extremities of, of weather and. And and that you get within Australia. But you like, think it's so hot that they just no. It's not go just mad. that. I think it's the fact that yeah, you, you know, you've got like the extremities of the weather, the extremities of the elements. You've got like you know the sea and a lot of stuff going on there, and then hot weather, and then this sort of desert landscape at times that is sort of uh, results in people gravitating towards like physical endurance as fun. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's. I mean, often I make when you meet Australian people, their drinking culture. We talked a little bit about British drinking culture in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Australians they love getting smashed as well, but they do it in a different way. It is almost like a kind of insurance thing yeah we can drink beer for 24 hours you talk about this as endurance but i i get the feeling the people playing it or the stage that they're at when they start playing it they're they're doing this for 10 seconds Uh, maybe they're not doing this on the spot for like two minutes that they are oh i see what you mean they're so drunk that they can only spin a few times before i don't know don't know i have to see i I mean there was no mention of that it wasn't like oh we play this when we're drunk i do love that like i love folk games that come from different parts of the world but what i really love is that you can only play money heads with like this australia (gasps) if there are any australians coming to gen con (laughs) and yeah then they can come to i swear to god if Hang you're on, coming to Gen mate, Con... We could just get Australian money from the post office. That's um, true. I mean, that's less That's sweet. way less exotic, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, we could get some Australian money from the post office. That's a really good idea. We can get Australian <laughs> money, and then we can play Money Heads live at the Gen Con live podcast. Yeah, and people will have paid money to see that. It'd be stupid. Yeah. Everyone, in, Everybody there in the room at that point would be stupid. Yes. Which is, which is great. <gasps> what if we got a load <laughs> of Australian money, and then we got like... 10 audience members up to stand next to us to play the Moneyheads World Championships while oh, we record the podcast. Moneyheads World Championships. I, I guess that's it. I guess that's happening is we're, we're giving everyone... I mean, it only needs to be like a 5 or a $10 bill or something on the head and... Yeah, oh, that actually, that's quite expensive. It's going to go out of my yacht budget. Not happy about this. Yacht and Haribo and budget. If, if we if we have ten five dollar bills, that's fifty dollars in Australian money, which is about twenty five pounds in English money. Which which is about how much we pay doable. for board games I mean, in general. You know, so. yeah, it, yeah, it costs it costs you know about six pounds a pop for question stack and fall. So our budgets are already through the roof. Uh, okay, yeah, I, th- I like that. Thank you very much for those uh, those folk games. They both made me laugh tremendously. Oh, I forgot that the most exciting part of the podcast is yet to come. It is. Ooh. Okay, so we teased this at the beginning of the podcast. We now are going to yes. uh, talk about 
Pandemic Legacy, the final six months. Um, people can Google Pandemic Legacy on, and podcast on this to Google. They can search it on our new site um, to find the first half of this spoilery chat. But uh, for the love of God, ladies and gents, if you haven't played Pandemic, Pandemic Legacy yet and you want to, then don't turn listen. off the podcast now. No. Don't listen. Just stop. We promise we won't be that entertaining. Or hey, just finish the game, then come back and listen to this. Yes, um, put this put this aside for the moment where you really want to listen to it. But uh, no, we don't we don't want to spoil any big reveals for anybody. So thank you so much for listening. And spoilers will begin in five, four, <gasps> three, <gasps> two, Ooh. one. Okay, which of you fuckers nuked a city? Because I did. you are a complete you? asshole. Yeah, you. It's to, uh, oh my god! I've got the card over there. Because it says to destroy the card, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna frame it. So. So which which did you nuke? We nuked. Um, we nuked. Essen. Oh, that's funny because Essen was oh. the worst city in my game as well. Yeah, Essen went really badly. Did you have the coder in Europe? Um, no. Okay. Coda in our uh, game was Southern America, okay. Africa. And it's amazing how many people you speak to that like almost just has this weird like kind of at the point where you have to maybe choose between two if they're like both equal. People just gravitate towards choosing like a place that they deem to be other, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. I think like, I don't know, it's this weird thing because like, we found in our game that we ended up like doing a much better job of protecting Europe and North America than we did anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's partially because the CDC starts in North partially America. Partially that, yes, but... Yes, I don't know. Genuinely, we, there was this sense of like, like, oh no, we have, we can't, like, we can't let it spread to Paris, or we can't let it spread to London, or whatever. Like, what well, do, do you like, want to know? It's how... like you look at South America, you just go, uh, Paul, where was it in your game? It was in South America, and uh... it's interesting that you guys talk <laughs> about that because uh, America gradually and very slowly, I think, collapsed for us as things sort wow. of came in from the south. Mm. Um, but in terms of the the best looking part of the board at the end of our game, it was actually the Middle East that was like the happiest and the safest. And then Asia was doing a pretty good job of 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 weathering things. I can't uh, remember if I made this up, but our friend at Fantasy Flight, Jonathan Ying, who oh god, I I'm going to butcher this anecdote. I can't remember if he's um if his family's from Taiwan or not, but I think he might have wanted to protect that part of the world because Coda was red or his mm. Asia was fucked. I forget. Um, sorry, Jonathan, if I got any of that wrong or all of it. Um, but we had Europe uh, as our Coda. Europe and North America was our Coda destination. And that just made, like, you're just thinking of 28 days later constantly. Because, yeah. Um, I mean, if people are listening to this and haven't played Pandemic Legacy and aren't going to, um, we should, it's some small tiny backstory is that one of the disease in pandemic legacy turns out to mutate and the plot line turns out to be that um it basically mutates into uh zombies and you can't cure it you just have to quarantine it and then you get roadblocks um but just to f- and you unlock what we're talking about is the ability to nuke a city away into the yes. game um so su- and it's like a side thing it's like a, it's like a card you can buy as an upgrade and then you spend it at some point in the game yeah we bought it like quite early like almost as soon as it came up and we didn't use it until the last game and actually if we hadn't used it we would have lost really yeah, yeah. But, okay really? so I mean, it was your last resort yeah basically because Essen was already completely fallen um but it, it was a kind of there was so much blue stuff going on on the board that it, we worked out if we then got another like uh another outbreak in St Petersburg 
Um, I, or it was going to basically spread. It was going to chain again, and we'd lose. Yes. It was like we basically thought if we can if we can completely get rid of Essen, then it means it can't then it spread can't create a chain and it won't create a chain reaction. And we pretty much knew there's a really high chance that we were going to draw Saint Petersburg again very very soon. And so yeah, we kind of realized also because Essen was already at five, it was already completely destroyed pretty much anyway from the virus. We had nothing to lose because it was just going to be crossed off on the board. No, you did have something to lose. What you wiped Essen off the board. Yeah. And survivors and infected that were there but it you just the whole game is a, no 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 as soon as we unlocked the nuke i immediately said no like it, the nuke was a fascinating and still great moment for me even though we didn't use it because we're yeah, doctors we're healers we're meant to save people absolutely it's funny that you say that because as soon as more and more military things came into the game i was looking at it and going this is kind of sinister and it's like oh you can build all this military infrastructure and you can build all these bases and I, I was saying to the group, like, I don't want to. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. This feels weird. I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah, do I want to start throwing all this stuff everywhere? And that was the thing. We kind of we were a bit reticent as well. We we did expand. We did really get into the military stuff. We made a lot of roadblocks. We made a lot of military bases. Um, almost reached the cap of military base. Actually, we had a lot. Um, and then, um, but then we did still feel funny about using the nuke, and we sound it for a long time. And at one point, we were thinking about nuking Karachi um, and like ugh. but Essen was kind of I don't know in the end it was like we, we talked about it a lot and it was it was really cool that we had that card in the deck because it isn't just an option that anyone gets it's like an upgrade that you have to buy and then it sits on one of your cards and then you can spend it and I was really glad we had it there because it didn't pop up that often but every now and then when somebody would have it in their hand and we'd have a situation where we'd go Maybe. <laughs> like at one point we were considering nuking Miami, I think, and we're like <laughs> But again it was kind of fun in the fact that we're just like, I mean, culturally, what what are we losing here, guys? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's it was kind of like funny, but we always you know, we had we always argued about it both for like, you know, faint moral reasons but also you know mechanical No, 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 we no, we shouldn't we don't need to do this. We don't but in the end it was like we just sort of thought yeah, you know, and we'd had such a, a relationship with Essen. It had fallen so early in the game through one really unlucky explosion of events and just the whole of Europe just suddenly went dark very quickly. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those things that it was kind of cool thematically, but also in the fact that when you score up at the end of the game, it has no mention of the nuke. Like, there's not any, like, did you nuke a city? Which is kind of like, feels like a bit of a big failing, especially because, for reasons we'll come to shortly, in the last arc of the game it becomes like much more like hey no actually the important thing is to be like scientists and medical and stuff yeah and fuck the military and all that stuff yeah. and, and then we're like yeah but we do still have this nuke <laughs> it's so just like maybe... someone forgot you had it like yeah, it was it's in like a back room somewhere guys the military are bad didn't you just nuke Essen yeah but we had a nuke but we don't have anything else <laughs> so I, I do like that it was your last resort thing though that's cute, yeah. I um, so there's we can talk about the the vaccinations and stuff in a bit, but I briefly before we move on, want to talk about what was actually turned out to be my favourite mechanic in the entire thing, mm-hmm. which was the drone escort upgrade. Um, so basically, it turns out that the mili- the the disease is manufactured and um, the disease is the being spread by the military to reduce global population. Yeah, like it's the same plot as um, Utopia, the amazing Channel Four series TV series that I recommend everybody watch. Um. But, uh, yeah, so th- uh, rap- at, at a sort of midpoint in the game, you unlock uh, a card called Drone Escort, which are drones that just follow one of the players. You stick it on their sheet, and it's incredibly good. And I have been describing this to everyone as just the most beautiful trap set by the developers, because if you understand games, you look at that card and you go, hmm, that's too good. 
you go, that's incredible. <laughs> and there's that sort of undertext of like, yeah, the drones, though, they're just shooting people who are sick, right? Yeah. But then if you're a gamer and you want to gamify it, then you take the upgrade and you'll probably argue with your friends over who gets it. Then you, you stick it in your character and then later on in the next few missions, it'll say, oh, yeah, the person with the drone escort is the betrayer. They're the one that the military trusted the most and they just go dark and disappear. Yeah. Oz was Timmy Hardbastard. Timmy Hardbastard. The- he was the, like, the general or something. He was basically... Oh, the colonel? Yeah, he was the guy who could move through uh, roadblocks. So and yeah. I, I think it's actually it's bigger than that. I think it wasn't that single thing that was that clever because I didn't think that upgrade was actually like we had other upgrades for characters that were as on par. Okay, with we that, didn't go with any of the soldier stuff, so it was our only way to remove faded. But that's the thing is that was like had to, that had to go on a soldier. Yes. Yeah, we put it on the quarantine specialist and then lost the quarantine specialist, which sure. was huge. Sure. Yeah. Which is Qu- funny. We lost our quarantine specialist. It's because um, she's always in dangerous places. Yeah. Um, I was but, uh, it was, and it was awful because she was she was her basic ability is good, or we found it very good because we That's amazing. we we went for trying to do a lot of containment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about getting rid of faded it doesn't really explicitly say that you kill them it just sort of it's in most cases like you can get rid of them except for the grenade belt where it's like (laughs) well you can remove well i guess we are killing them yeah but no we had her her basic power was good we gave her a couple of good upgrades um and then i i think I mean, she. At some point, you can basically harm characters to um, oh, the desperate, offset I, things. Yeah, that was felt like a release valve for if the game got too difficult, and I didn't like that. Um, that actual mechanical we, thing. We didn't do that very much, uh, but we definitely didn't do it with her. She just ran into bad luck. I think one yeah. too many times. Well, and, she's always in the fray because she literally has yeah. to be there to be putting down these quarantine tokens we had the same thing she and it's a shame because actually not not that long after she died in our game you got the point where you start to have like cards that could give you armor and stuff and actually stuff that way she could look after herself effectively yeah but, it but was that's good it that's out. i mean how thematic is that oh no like, it's amazing the military's like oh the quarantine specialist has died so maybe you guys need some real armor but also that's the thing is it was the fact that she was technically a military character but she's the first military character you're exposed to and she's that crossover from the world of medical science into military yeah and she is still doing good technically she works yes. for the military but she's still feels like a part of the medical system mm-hmm. and what was yes. funny is we went from being really successful about quarantining everything and just stopping it from spreading to be fair in the whole of our campaign we only had one city outside of the color which got coda spread to which it, is we, it, didn't you yeah that which is insane like coda spread so much in our game and we then. did a really really strong job of setting up roadblocks and setting up um uh, quarantine walls and to just stop that from happening and actually at the end of the game we got a really bad score it was like 440 but because I think coda did, had just destroyed well, it's it eaten those sectors of the no world. no because often your score was dependent on so many things but um it was dependent on things like not finding the, the people quickly enough um and not um, not stopping other cities around the world from getting into like a pickle. Yeah, generally it's like your final score at the end, which feels it, the game sets out and says you are the center for disease control. And at the end of the game, the game says your score is based on how many people survived. You yeah, know? like and that, that feels so fair. Absolutely, but I think because of the flavor of like how bad these faded are, they got like you know the, the basically zombies. We always made our priority to just stop that from spreading. Like that, that was always our number one priority was to maintain yeah. the borders of that, mm-hmm. so, and so it cannot escape where it is. And then that meant that often we lost games and did badly, and because other diseases around the world were causing trouble. But I still, I still would stand by our decision that, like, yes, there were problems with the diseases, it's, but we didn't let this one. So we'll judge you. It's interesting and true that within the game's narrative wrapper. Uh, 
I mean, in the base game of Pandemic, it's meant to be four plagues. They're all as bad as each other. Yeah. But all the story in Pandemic Legacy is wrapped around um, Coda. Yeah. So you kind of just assume that the others are like flus. Yeah. Precisely. Whereas actually, no, they. I mean, those diseases can eradicate a city same as Coda. Yeah. But the game never reminds you of that. So that's that's an interesting sort of... Yeah, thing. that's the thing. It was kind of like, funny. We just became terrified of it. like, and, yeah. and that was great. And it was what made the game exciting. But then at the end, when it's like, oh, you didn't do a very good job, it's like, I kind of just ignored that. I'm like, no, we did a really good job. <laughs> but here's another thing is we had um our red disease basically became we nerfed it so much yeah that we were kicking it off the board sometimes within one or two turns that's so funny because and, you need less cards to cure it right yeah fewer cards um and it, i mean it was great because it's one less problem to think about but yeah we had a similar thing where getting towards the end of the game coder is very difficult but at least one of the other illnesses is just we don't care about it it gets stomped so quickly all the time and because that was red and that was asia and sort of the far east that's one reason why i guess that region of the board generally did better with us but it's i I don't feel that we maybe got rewarded enough for that at the end and we also had i think one military base left on the board which we could have destroyed at any time oh but but you didn't didn't know that yeah same same we didn't know we didn't have this thing come up but i mean that's uh, that's okay i think it's fair to like you shouldn't mm. know what the scoring parameters are. You should kind of have to read it and guess. Like It, it did uh, mean that we got, the, I think, the third rating down instead of the second ha- highest rating. It would have made the difference between us being quite good to really pretty cool. Sure, but we're a bit o- miffed about that. But the other thing is that, you know, you built loads of military bases no, in the first place. So even achieved- like, actually, so much of this just could have been... Because the only problem I had with the whole game was sometimes there were like bits of flavour on the text or bits of descriptions of what to do on text that weren't 100% clear. And I was like, what does that mean Man, exactly? You, like, it's clear they had... And this is the interesting design problem. I think like the number one thing they seem to... Well, aside from balance, right? One of the things they clearly wrestle with is they have so little text. Yeah, like... It's it's yeah. amazing reading that manual because there's no examples. Like in the pandemic manual, there is ultimately, by the end of the game, there are so many rules in the pandemic legacy manual that like they've had to use the even more Spartan text than like uh collectible card game designers. Yeah. Like they have to be like, in the case of this, this does this, and I hope you understand what I meant by that. Like yeah. which is and then same for storytelling. And right? I mean, it wasn't too bad, but it was funny how I, I had to kind of carefully Google these things and then found, sure enough, like uh threads, people talking about it with often like Matt Leacock, like coming oh, in and being like oh sorry yeah and and so it was, that wasn't clear this me and like okay cool but yeah i mean i found another thing that it could have just said i remember when it said like you know you've got a destroy when the objective was destroy two military bases or whatever yeah. destroy the military bases just a bit of flavor text saying it's it's vital you destroy the main infrastructure so you yeah. can do this and you know then, it's and true that the objective also, cards, that, there was like, space on the objective cards right or even just on the flavor of being like it's, it's vital you destroy these ones but if you've got the time to take down the whole network, that would be great. Sure. Like, that's all it yeah. takes. You know? I mean, let's... So, just to not get too far off... I mean, we all still, like, think it's the number one board game of all time. I think at the I, moment, it's just... It's fantastic. I, yeah. I do. I, I, we, well, I, I, we, by, like, our whole group, had a really good time playing it. And it's... Uh, I mean, there were definitely some things at the end where you go, oh, I changed this, or I wish this was a bit better. Yeah. But, but generally, if we're like, talking about the succeeds, journey, right? yeah. it was... Oh, yeah, it was... It was so enjoyable. It was so interesting. It had some nice surprises. I'm not actually that huge a Pandemic fan, but I was a big fan of Pandemic Legacy, which, I mean, that's quite a lot coming from me, saying that it takes a game that I feel neutral about and made me really invested, really interested in it, 
really enjoyed that story that we went through together and i you know we'll remember it for a long time i think it does a fantastic job of consistently like you talk about that one trap i think it does a fantastic job of consistently uh being the count and the stick that that coaxes you to coaxes do something you towards yes. the same path so you've always got all these options like all these characters you can play as and yet like we all rely quite heavily on the quarantine specialist because yeah. you just look at it and go this is really good this is what we need now so you you develop a strategy that hinges on that character then for whatever reason or other that character's gone and then suddenly for us we just barely ever use quarantine ever again every now and then if we have a spare term we're like yeah, or quarantine. But it became like, it wasn't part of our strategy anymore. We had to rely on new strategies and our new strategy was roadblocks. And roadblocks oh, wow. combined with the drone escort, it meant that this guy can just waltz through roadblocks and, and keep the, you know, the virus down. Um, by killing people. By killing people. But, you know, you had to do it. And then it's that thing of, okay, then it's like, you go heavy on the roadblocks, you go heavy on the military bases, so you've got this network you can move around. And then suddenly it's like, yeah, that was that was all a trap. Like, you've, you've made this network. And now, what was lovely for us, it was the, because it was like, Timmy Harbastard was painted by the game as being <laughs> the traitor. And it made sense, because what did Timmy Harbastard do? He went around and set up loads of roadblocks. And he, yeah. And now it's like, oh, you bastard. It's, I, like, it's, it's almost like, even you... though we were playing, like, to try and help, the actions that his character led to could mm. easily be seen afterwards as being traitorous and even though I wasn't the guy who named that guy it was my friend Chris who called him Timmy Harbast and he played as him a couple of times but I ended up playing him after the quality <laughs> specialist died everyone was like oh yeah Matt you were the traitor like it wasn't me like oh I see <laughs> um, it's funny that you mentioned that though about the, the picking the character and the tactics because I think one of the toughest challenges we had constantly was starting each new game and going you know we we have a growth roster of characters the older ones are generally the more customized ones but the newer ones offer you a kind of a cool spin on things yeah and it was sometimes it was really hard to decide who to be towards like month eight or nine or ten it's like we have still quite a lot of people to choose from some of them we've really tailored to do quite specific things yeah and we don't we don't need that now or we don't want that it's, and uh, particularly at that point, you're like, well, something new is going to come up as well. We've got no idea what it is. So do we generally go for a sort of a generalist approach or do we just say this game, we are going to nail this thing. We're going to do this. And if stuff comes up that surprises us, we'll ignore it or, or, you know, we were doing almost damage control of like, we know now we can't do everything. We'll just try and do some things. Mm. Uh, it's funny talking about uh, this is the worst place to mention it because obviously people are listening to this they've played it or don't care but playing Pandemic Legacy with two was so good like that's another thing that like rewards it is that like with two people it becomes so personal and the relationships you pick between characters are so important because it's the only relationship in the entire game between the two of you so the fact that your relatives or the fact that your friends or rivals tells a story like there's no like oh I'm rivals with him I'm friends with him and his sister and his girlfriend it's like no we're brothers or like we're friends or lovers. And then when one of you dies, it's like, Oh God, it's so awful. Yeah. The fact they had to continue the rest of that mission as a civilian. That's a real thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's really dark. You I mean, even like, I mean, we were really lucky actually, cause we almost, um, we just kind of got the big reveal about towards the end that it's all like an inside job. We got that like just at the very end of the mission, but it still felt like it was during a mission. Oh, we got it at the very start. And then obviously you're just fucked in a two player game. But it's amazing. It doesn't have just, a power. Well, you're just going, ah, like, well, the fuck, like yeah. the fact that it occurred like midway through, it's like now open this and we open it and now open this. It's like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> that was like a magical moment. And it's a shame because we were actually, we were so close to literally another turn and it would have been a case of it would have been in the setup for the next 
next game, which would have been exciting. But uh, I love the way that occasionally, like mid mission, oh, it's that's yeah. the best. Whoa, big yes. curveball, and you won't know what's going on. In terms of uh, like you mentioned storytelling before we started recording this podcast, Matt, um, the actual the best story that I had at all was um, the med- the character I was closest to was the medic. Just, you know, he just wanted to heal people, never did any military anything. He's just mm. helping people. And on the very last turn of the very last game, we realized that I was like, oh, what should I do this turn? It's like, um, and I went, oh my God, because we'd been putting all the bullshit upgrades. It's like, so what had started the year as a medic who would go around countries and, you know, vaccinate people and clear up disease. His final turn, I was looking at it going, oh my God, okay. New York has fallen. Um, it's roadblocked. Um, we can't get in, but there's the final military bases in New York. And I went, okay, here's what I can do. I've got a parachute cut. I can parachute into New York, creep on the military base, see for it, and then drive out before Coda eats me. And uh, then we just realized it made more sense for me to go and vaccinate Miami and then we'd win the game. But it was that thing of the medic just having that, like, briefly an action movie in his head of being like, guys, I can helicopter in. They're like, no, we still just need you to heal people because that's who you are. And he went, okay, because that's the right thing to do. But that's is that a thing that you found happened in certain missions was you had, like, uh, you know, you have occasionally these missions where you have to search or you have to go to a certain part of the board. Did you – I don't know if it happened for you, but we had a couple of moments where it was like – you are basically going off to do something. You, the player, and you, the character, you're going away. May or may not work. We're going to try and sort of hold the fort and deal with everything else. Did you find you had these moments of like, we might we might just lose a character. We've got to chuck somebody out there and... We had really cute moments what the hell happens. of getting really attached to vital characters. And like, it was often just one action at the end of a turn of being like, um, uh, uh, Lee, my fiance, would say to me like, "Oh, you have to stay in Paris." And I'm like, I-, "I don't want to stay in Paris." There's like about a 25 percent chance I'll die, and then we have that yeah. moment of looking at the character and being like, "No, I really got to stay in Paris." <laughs> and you know, you discuss that death together, um, which is just—it, I mean, it's it's really yeah. nice. I, I seem to be unlucky yeah. in the fact that it was only ever characters I played that either died or, or just that's not unlucky. Death is fun. No, right? it was, but it was the fact that it was funny how <laughs> everyone else was like much more reticent, even at right at the end. Oh, were, I like, see. We're like, oh no, I don't want to like. I don't want. It's like. This is the end. Like, you gotta, you gotta do this. Like, We're all dying. Yeah, like, like you have to take a risk now, and people did. They did, and it was kind of exciting. But it was funny how everyone was just like, "Oh no, but I don't want to get." I mean, in the, in like- the thinnest way, like I love that Pandemic Legacy is a game that does model that thing of like, "We're here to save like a hundred thousand lives." And then creating the conflict between, yeah, but I don't want to die. And yeah. how much of a hero yeah. do you want to be? And I think yeah. so much of it was just that the 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 success of the game came down to. Um, like being one step ahead of you and, and and leaving you with breadcrumbs knowing you take them. And even when you try to be clever and game, even sort of incidental systems, I love the fact that like, you know, for our example, Coda was yellow. And then it meant that when we started getting these card upgrades, it could go on cards. We're like, well, we don't need yellow yeah, cards anymore. That's a fun that's a fun realisation within the puzzle of being like, hang on, yeah. guys, yeah, we don't, we don't need, use the yellow we cards. We don't use yellow cards because we can't cure it. And then, of course, then it's like, oh, you got to find people. What do you need? Loads of yellow cards. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. great, right. Ah, it's good though no it's amazing but what what I found fascinating because I love Pandemic Legacy and um, I'm like I'd really be excited like for to play like hopefully there will be a season 2 there will be they're working on season 2 now but it's that thing it almost reminds me of a video game called Dark Souls the first time you do it it's like all these traps and tricks and stuff they get you 
And it's like, it's almost like I, I, I'm not worried, but I'd be interested to see what it's like second time, whether or not having like been through this, this series of this gauntlet of traps yes. before, whether you start to see the traps happening. I mean, that'll be, be a like, really well, fun discovery. That, because... It'll be like, hey guys, you can, you know, what would it be? Like, you know, hey, you can spread this unstable vaccine to other cities. Seems like a good idea. And then you can have a, yet another conflict within Pandemic of trying to win the game, trying to win the campaign, and then also second guessing, knowing that you've been through it before, of being like, we shouldn't do this. Yeah, but yeah. we have to Every, win the everyone game. Everyone's going to come at it uh, so much warier. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, and finally, I just well, but a thing I noticed which was really bizarre because we talked about this on another podcast about the fact like once you're done with Pandemic Legacy, like you're kind of done with it, and obviously you've got some you know aspirations to frame the. Uh, yeah, we want to frame our board at yeah. some point once Ooh. you kind of feel like it's enough time. I'm. Probably going to frame up my, my torn up nuke car just in a little frame, <laughs> just as a reminder of that time we all laughed and grinned and shook hands and nuked Essen. Um, but at the same time, it was weird. I'd already like logically come to terms with the fact that it's like, yeah, you know, you play this game, and then you're done with it and you just you get rid of it. And, you know, we got like probably about 15, 20 hours out of it at least. Um, but there was something strange in the fact that after we'd literally finished the last game, my mate turns and said to me, also, well, what do we do with this now? Just put it in the bin. And I just sort of went, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't until I actually turned around and looked at it all, all out there, all these bits and all the balls and all the cards. And I just yeah. suddenly thought, oh, God, what do I do with this? And, you know, I've still got it. It's on my bed. And it's this weird thing of being like, I've taken out all the little plastic components and I'm going to keep them in a little box just because yeah. it's like, well, they might be useful for something. I mean, it's funny. Like, it feels wrong. But, I mean, if you look at your recycling, like, yeah. on any given week, you will have an amount of stuff in your recycling of, like, plastics and cardboards. Oh, that I is, know, like, yeah. It's the same amount yes. as Pandemic yeah. Legacy. So it's, it's environmentally, it's it's not so Absolutely, ridiculous. Absolutely, but it's just, it's funny how I went from being like, ah, it's fine, to like, at the moment when I was done with it, I just suddenly went, oh, man. Like, and I think it's that weird thing of like, it's almost like because it does actually, I think it's an interesting thing. It's not necessarily bad by any means, but it makes you confront like your relationship with things in a very real way. Whereas usually you'll buy loads of board games and they'll sit in your cupboard for ages. And then one day you'll have a big clear out and you suddenly go, oh, I don't want these four things. And mm-hmm. you just get rid of it immediately. And you almost like you steal yourself into bin mode when, and you do this with <laughs> normal things in life as well. You go around and you'd be like, right, I'm in bin mode. And you'll just bin or recycle or throw away loads of stuff that you don't want. But when you have one thing where as soon as you finish with it, you've just finished having a lovely time with it. Now immediately you think yeah. it goes in the bin. It's like really weird. There's like an aura of entertainment still around it, right? Yeah. Like it's very weird to enjoy something and then immediately have to put it in the bin. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's like, oh man, I really like listening to that record. I'm going to smash it now. Yeah, God. Oh, wow. It's like, I never thought of it like that before. Really but quite it's, strange. it's just the distance you've got. Like, exactly. Once you've been exposed to it, it becomes associated in your yeah. head with like, this is a good object and you can't throw away good so, objects. So now I have this box, I've finished the campaign and it's probably going to live in my cupboard for about six months. Before I just... Well, I, I don't know anyone who's even thinking actually about throwing most or any of it away because it's it's a whole bunch of a sort of narrative, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Reminders. It's, you know, the cards that are torn but or how much obviously do the you board need? itself or... I, I don't know because the, the manual is, is full of, you know, stickers now oh, hey. and all the characters are and... This is a great time. We can just end this conversation by saying that um, if people use the search function on shutupandsitdown.com, they can see a tear-jerking article about pretty much exactly this, about what these objects become and what they represent. And specifically, it's about a guy growing older and playing with his friends. Um, we don't usually accept um, articles from people who just write in asking if we can publish stuff, but this one was no, we don't. absolutely exceptional and almost made me cry. So yeah, Google um, Risk Legacy in shutupandsitdown.com search function, and you'll see a short 
very touching article about what these games can mean. And uh, God, this has been an unbelievably long podcast, but hey, it's an unbelievably good game. It is. It's really good. And the thing is, I think we could do, I mean, we probably won't, but we could talk about this for like another 15, 20, 30 yeah, minutes. We really, really <laughs> could. But uh, for now, let's just look forward to the fact that I think uh, Seafall is arriving this year. Maybe, oh, maybe there, there might even be some early copies of Gen Con, which is, do you not know about this one, Rob? Yeah. No. Oh, Rob. <laughs> That's Rob, De- oh, I've got good news for you. So Rob yeah. Davio, the guy who collaborated, with, who made Risk Legacy, collaborated with Matt Leakin on Pandemic Legacy, uh-huh. his own game called Seafall, where you all play people exploring an island chain and then you discover islands. So the board is just an ocean initially and then you discover islands in it. And that's then you name the islands and thing. you settle on the islands. And you <sighs> Think about Archipelago Legacy. Yeah, yeah. So that's that sounds amazing. Year. Yeah. And think about oh ways that that could change or go wrong or get weird. Oh, let's just get it at, at Gen Con then just hide in a hotel room with it. Oh, dude. <laughs> I, I played, a couple of years ago, I played a very early version and we virtually never play stuff that isn't finished. Uh, uh, BGG Con. And that was only, you know, an hour or two and only a few turns. And there was a mixture of um, a bit of sort of economy with how you have your own nation or your own sort of ship or I don't know how quite how it's pitched. And you gradually customize who you are and you discover things. But it's kind of weirdly almost post-colonial in that by discovering new lands and touching them and landing them, you change them and you don't always change them necessarily in good ways and stuff happens. And it was just Rob saying like, Oh, it's not very good now. It's imperfect. It's like, you're not, you know, ignore the, the holes and the, and I was like, no, this is just kind of fascinating. Like, what the hell is going to happen? I think it, yeah, the, it's the multi-tiered system of a you discover islands with indigenous peoples and traits, mm-hmm. but then b because you're governing those islands, that gives them the chance to have like a little. Each island can have like a little narrative arc. Sure, um, yeah. an island because if you govern it in a really shitty, money-hungry way, then that's going to result in different things in the people that live there. Yeah, um, but hey. Uh, who knows what it'll be like because it's Rob Davio he was, it was very stressful I know for him making a game that was like all cut from a new cloth because obviously Risk Legacy and Pandemic Legacy were working with established formats absolutely yes. so hey um, bye beware but it'll probably be great and uh, let's wrap this one up yeah wrap it up okay. wrap it okay. up thank you so much for listening to this yes. extra long episode of the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast and if you enjoy the work that we do, we've actually, this is a few weeks on now, but we ran a donation drive um, recently to uh, keep this site going because we actually have no adverts, we have no sponsorship, and we have no paid-for content. Shut Up and Sit Down is kept entirely alive by listeners like you who listen to the podcast and think, hey, this is worth a dollar. And if you think this is worth a dollar, then head to shutupandsitdown.com slash donate, and we all appreciate you giving as little or as much as you can. Yes, thank you so much. There really do. And if you do or you don't, have a lovely day. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.